knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysoon. The unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC Campfires is brought to you by DSC, Conservation and Hunter Advocacy, Hornady, Accurate, Deadly, Dependable, Trijicon, Brilliant Aiming Solutions, Taurus, Makers of the Raging Hunter and Other Fine Handguns, Mossberg, a leader in firearms since 1919, Hassel Cattle Company, the world's best jerky, and Wagyu Beef. Now, here's your host, Larry Weissen. Well, welcome to the campfire. This morning, I have got a very special guest, Mr. Herman Brune. Herman has uh, kicked around a fair amount over the years. He's been a bronc rider, champion bronc rider. He's been a guide, continues to guide occasionally, an entrepreneur. If you hear some shots in the background, we're actually on Herman's home ranch. It's been in the family for a good many years, and there's, a, I think somebody's out there maybe shooting a sharps rifle right. with a sharps match, and I noticed earlier there was some smoke coming out, so I'm assuming they were shooting black powder cartridges at this point. So, Herman, welcome back. We had you on some time ago, and I've been wanting to get you back on ever since. Mm -hmm. Now, before we turn this thing on, we were talking about some of the guiding stuff that you've done, and you you mentioned Mexico, and uh, we were talking about some editors and some assignments that you've gotten over the years as a writer, and and, uh, to say all that, too, we just finished a, a, a radio show that you do, an episode, and what's the name of that radio Show? It's news from the camp house. News from the camp house. How do people access that? And then we'll get into some of these other things. KULM 98.3 FM. It's a local radio program out of Columbus. Now, thankfully, I've been doing this since August of 2000. And it's a weekly program every every Saturday morning, 6.30 a.m. Central Time. Uh, 
most of you know, now you've got internet, you can live stream it. So anybody can watch this, you know, anywhere. But it's 6.30 a.m. on Saturday, Saturday morning, Central Time. And the premise of the program is uh, that there's so many conversations, so many discussions that go on around the hunting camp, fishing camp, any kind of a camp, any kind of gathering. And so often a discussion will end with a question of how does something work? How does something actually, you know, what, you know, there's always a question at the end a lot of times. And that is the premise is that I go out and I find the answers. I'm going to find somebody that is expert that can answer the question of why things are the way they are and what we're doing about it. And whether it's legislators, whether it's state agencies, federal agencies, uh, attorneys, uh, biologists, whatever it takes, uh, whatever it takes, we're going to go find the person that can give a good answer that will satisfy people as being the truth. With that said, we're and I kind of took us astray there for just a little That's bit. Right. I'm glad I did because we just finished the episode this morning. You and I got a chance to visit about a lot of different things. But let's go back to the Mexico thing. What, what's happened? You guided in Mexico. Of course, you guided up mm-hmm. in the Bob Wilderness with uh, Bob Marshall Wilderness area for years and other places up there. And you were mentioning that you really like the wilderness, right? Every, you know, that's that's the thing. You know, hunters are going to have preference of what what style of hunting do you like, and that's that's fine. That is, boy, I mean that that's great. Texas is ninety five percent private property, all right. So you're going to have all different brands of hunting in Texas. It's whatever you have access to, whatever type of preference you have. That's great. Go enjoy the outdoors, however it suits you. All right, me. Personally, I like the wilderness. I like saddling a horse, packing up mules, packing into the mountains, and living, you know, eighteen hundred style up in up in a wilderness area. That's that's my that is what I have enjoyed. Uh, you know, first time I went to Montana was in nineteen seventy eight, and I you know went me and the neighbor boys all would go to the hills through the 80s and just go have fun. Well, one of them turned out to be an outfitter, and I started guiding with him and uh, guided with him in the Bob Marshall Wilderness up until 90, well, with him till 94. Then another outfitter picked it up, and I guided with them through 99. There was one out. There was one year that I ducked off and I went down to the Absorca Beartooth because I kept hearing how those guides down there got paid better. <laughs> and uh, so I went down there. There were, there was a lot of elk. It was not my style of hunting, even though it was a wilderness hunt. It just wasn't my style. Uh, we hunted the park line and run up down the park line trying to call elk out of the park. And that just wasn't my deal. And so, but I, you know, I signed on for the season. I did it for one year. And then after that, I went back to the Bob and uh, I stayed there through 99. And then I went down to the Washakie Wilderness in Northwestern Wyoming. And I got it down there and about 40 miles. We're up the East Fork of the Wind River, about 40 miles from the park. And uh, across the hill, over the hill from the Woods River and Cody, uh, 
a lot of your outdoor folks are going to recognize that from old Jim uh, Zumbo talking about the Woods River and Cody Wild. And we were over the hill from that over in the East Fork and the Wind River. And I got it there from 2000. The last trip I went up there to go to camp to help them was in 22 and trying to show some of the guides. I, I told them for years, I said, y'all got to get some young fellas in here. I'm about played out. And in 22, I went up there and was trying to show some of the guys where to, where to hunt, where not to hunt, and you know where you know how to play some of the basins and stuff because the wind will get you if you get in certain spots. And trying to give them a heads up of what what I had taken 20 years to learn, and give them a heads up on this is the way you hunt this area, and uh, you know so. And then you ended up in Mexico for a while. I did. It was great. <laughs> it, it was great because uh, I was able to, well, there was a time that I would go to Montana and start 1st of June and do six, uh, well, 1st of June till July, we worked on, we getting all, we had 40 head of horses to shoot. We had, you know, all kinds of stuff to do. We make a couple of trips and it runs into the run into the mountains to kind of prep up stuff for when we were going to go hunting. Then we would do six progressive fly fishing summer trips uh, into the Sun River and into the middle fork of the Flathead. And then you'd have two weeks to go to the early season where you'd do four eight-day hunts and on the west side. And then you'd go into the general season where you'd do two or three eight-day hunts and that would generally, oh, most of the time, I would leave Montana right at Thanksgiving, get home in time to go to Mexico and go guide Mexico December and January. And so from the 1st of June to the end of January, I was hunting somewhere. But from the 1st of June till Thanksgiving, I was out there living in the wilderness. And then it all changed because from December to January, now I'm on a ranch where I can get sleeping inside, and uh, most of those places were pretty nice. And they, yeah, they most were, of the most of the Mexico yeah. camps were pretty good. And they generally had a pretty good cook as well, too. Oh yeah, had good cooks. Uh, you know, you're hunting out of your pickup. You got a high rack on your trailer. It's all different style from, but it was it was nice to have the 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 difference. You know, it was nice to nice to do some go sit in a blind. Instead of walking up and down the mountains, go sit in a blind, just sit on your butt and sit there and watch the feeder and tell them which ones, which, you know, age, age, right, grade exactly. the deer. And then know that when you going back in in the evening, you had a cooler of beer in the back of your truck. <laughs> and, you know, on the way back in from the stand, you could, you generally about a two beer drive. Well, I know that you spent some time down there with a good friend of mine, Bill Whitfield. Yeah, yeah. Bill yeah. and I owned an outfitting business together in Texas for a while and, and all those kind of things. And I recall some story from y'all used to have once in a while run across a mountain line down there. Didn't mm. I remember some, some story about you on the back of a trek pickup with a line that had, had, had maybe the Lazarus line that came back to life. Okay. The, they they killed four lions down there. That ranch was was infested, and they were losing a lot of deer. And uh, one of the guides had found a yearling horse that morning, 
and he came back in and told the landowner. The landowner waited until almost dark, and he went out with one of his guys, and he got up in the high rack and let his man drive. And he was shooting. He was shooting at two twenty-three, and uh, uh, they went out to where that horse was and spot. And it was right when he almost needed spotlight a little bit. And that lion was on that horse, and he shot it because he wasn't gone long. And he brought it back in and had it in the back of the truck. Well, his high rack fit on the front half of the bed. The back half of the bed was just open pickup bed. Right. And so the the landowner was sitting up in the high rack. And I was the first one out the door. He's backing up to the skinny shed. And I went out to, you know, okay, I'm going to go see what they got. You know, right. they're back already. And I walked around to the back of the truck, and the landowner says, "Be careful! I don't. I'm not sure he's dead." <laughs> okay, how do you load a live lion? You know, yes, and how right. do you keep him in the back of the truck? So I mean, you know, this goes through my head. I'm looking. That lion is underneath the high rack, and then he had two spare tires. And this line is laid over those spare tires. He's got his head against the driver's side of the bed and his feet against his back feet against the uh, passenger side of the bed. And I, you know, walk up. He's up there. I just turn around, walk up there. And I'm thinking, how's the line? Get, you wouldn't load a line like that. No. How would he get there? And I, I walked around and would inadvertently just naturally reached in to touch it and pet it. And it's about then that the landowner says, well, be careful, I'm not sure he's dead. Now, well, how can that be? And just as my hand touches it, I see I see it like that. Oh it, it, it makes it takes a breath. And I'm already committed. My hand touches it's there. it. Yeah. Yeah. And the second, the instant my hand touched that line. It sat up in my face and said, <laughs> you know. Oh, my goodness. And I just, you know, I, I without, you know, did that old moonwalk thing. <laughs> I sucked back about 15 feet. And all the boys that were coming out, coming in behind me, they loaded up in a Suburban that was standing right there and locked the door. quickly. And locked right? the doors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm standing there looking at this thing, and it's, it's sitting there snarling and growling. But you can tell it's something ain't right. Right. It, right. It's not. It don't feel good. And uh, there was a older cowboy, an older, older one of the one of the hands on the ranch, one of the Mexican guys, and he was an older guy. And he immediately he walked out there with a lariat rope, and he immediately started trying to fish that rope onto that line. Right. He's going to get a loop on it, and. Tied off to the skinny shed and let them drive out from under. Yes, that was the plan. Well, these old boys loaded up in that suburban. They having a fit. You know, get away, get away, or you're gonna get bit. <laughs> and I'm over there now. I'm helping this this old cowboy. You know, and uh, landowner says, "Y'all just be still." And he reaches from where he's at with that rifle and shoots it. And <laughs> that's, that's that's the end of it. You know, so that's that's, that's how it ended. That cat weighed just a little over 200 pounds, and we had its back straps a couple of nights later. And I will testify 
in front of St. Peter, that is the best wild game meat there is, is backstraps out of out of mountain lion. You get somebody that knows how to fix that. Don't mess it up with bacon and jalapenos and make poppers or none of that stuff. You just take that backstrap out of mountain lion and you put that and grill it and I've, I've had it, and yeah. I will not disagree with you. Yeah. But that was a big line. That was that a big was line. Huge, it, it? When they get that big, their head starts, instead of being angular, yeah. it starts rounding out. Right. And you can see the likeness to an African you know, yeah. line. Like a leopard or a, yeah. or a lion, either one. Yeah. It, it, when their head starts getting, they're so big that their head starts kind of looking more round. Yeah, you, you know you're looking at it really big cat you know it's it's and then if you know if for people who don't know if yeah because i at the time i didn't know but I, I watched him weigh this cat and then later i was reading and googling so how big i was talking about a big leopard leopards don't get that big very similar they reach 200 pounds i shot a huge leopard in the maybe years ago and it weighed 184 pounds mm-hmm. it, of course it didn't it, but also didn't have anything in its belly so mm-hmm. it would have probably been a 200 pound cat had it eaten but anytime you cross that 150 line whether and on particular on, on mountain line or cougar right that's a big cat that's that's a monster and like i said this one had killed a yearling it killed a cult, right. you know yearling horse and it come back to feed. Uh, you know, we had mountain lions, of course, where I was at in the Bob Marshall. Right. And uh, one of the one of the best pieces of advice that I was given, one of the local boys that was also an outfitter, he said, "Don't start making rules about what you think a lion will and will not do, because they'll make a liar make out, a liar out of you. Yeah, yeah, they'll make a liar out of you. Generally, a lion is going to." want fresh meat. That's why there's death on a deer herd. Uh, that's why you see, like in the Bob, different places, you see a mule deer population suffering. And I say, well, there's a lion in every drainage. And, you know, they're they're very territorial as far as big toms wiping out the younger cats. Oh, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, that's how come you wind up with so many of them in people's neighborhoods now. But, uh, uh, they're hard on because they want fresh meat. They may kill something, and, but now here I am making it up, and, and, it, and he just told me not to. <laughs> they, 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 they'll kill something. They may come back to it once, but then after it starts turning just a little bit rancid, right. they, they want a fresh kill. Exactly. So when the weather's warmer, they're going to kill more. The other thing that's happened in some of those areas in Colorado, particularly in parts of New Mexico, is the cow population has greatly, greatly increased. And mm-hmm. what's happened there is that lion makes a kill, takes one meal of it, and leaves it, and uh, guess what? The yeah. coyotes eat it up. Well, then, whereas maybe he killed in the, even in the cooler weather one every, once every week or something like that, once every four or five days, now he's forced to kill a little bit more often, or she is. So right. it, it kind of that's kind of compounded the situation. The the lion thing is is very interesting because here in Texas, I know there's a lot of things going on right now with mountain lion in terms of, you know, should it be a game animal? Should it be protected? Should it be this? But the lion here in Texas has basically been a non-animal for years. And right. so there were no regulations as to the kills or bag limits or anything like that. 
And even in the face of that, the mountain lion population has increased many, many, many times over, many fold over compared to some of the other states where I they do a, have regulations. I got a bad grade in a, in a class at A&M. You know, I went back to A&M when I was an adult. Right. And uh, I took all their journalism classes. I was in my 40s. And I took all their journal class, all their journalism classes, and I took a parks and tourism class as a uh, uh, elective. And during that, we went to Big Ben, and so a bunch of us went out there, a bunch of students. I went out there, a bunch of students. We went to Big Ben, and part of it was they did a slideshow out there, and they had a ranger do a slideshow, and this young lady was, I think, just out of college and did a slideshow about lions. Okay. We get back to AM and I find out, okay, now we're supposed to write a paper about what do we what was something that we right. noticed at Big Ben. And I and I wrote a paper and I said, all right, we went to this slideshow presentation and this young ranger put on his presentation and talked about loss of habitat. Uh uh, different oh, environmental right. missteps that happened in the 40s and 50s and on into the 60s that were detrimental to the environment. And I'm looking around, now this is back in the mid-90s when I'm there, and the people that are sitting around me are all retired people. They're all the age I am now or older. They're all our age in between 65 and 75. Right. And I'm looking around, and she's talking directly to these people, and I felt like they were a little uncomfortable because she was hitting a little bit on them about, you know, they they didn't take care of things the way they should have. She never said anything. I knew there were more mountain lions in North America at the time than there ever had been in any time previous. But she kind of browbeat these people. About you know not not being environmentally minded en- enough, right? And that was my takeaway on the deal, and that's what I wrote my paper on. And I got a bad grade. Got a bad I grade. got a bad grade. I <laughs> what, what the prof wanted you to write? Yeah, that's not what. Well, we had a little old uh, teacher's assistant teaching that class uh, from. Massachusetts. That kind of explains a whole lot right there yeah. just in itself, doesn't it? Yeah. I think I had a, you know, I think she was a little bit left-handed. <laughs> and didn't agree, Probably so, yeah. Did, did not agree with my viewpoint on, <laughs> on what I what I watched, you know. Or what you saw. Yeah, what I saw. Yeah, what I'm, you saw. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm watching this. I know this. I know the information on the lines. Uh, you know, she didn't say anything that wasn't correct, but could have delivered it a lot better. I got tickled know. years ago when I worked for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department. They first started doing some of the non-game thing. And we got a, a non-game biologist that was assigned to work on things like mountain lion and, and, and uh, gosh, mighty uh, uh, Mexican eagles or the uh, caracaras and, you know, and getting handle on everything. And this person came out with a statement that there were 101 mountain lions in the state of Texas total. 
Huh. This goes back away, back into the, the late 70s, in early, uh, middle to late 70s. And at that time, we knew several ranches out in West Texas that had killed 100 lions that year. Yeah. And so those numbers weren't quite right. And then, too, that same person said there were 52 caracaras in all of Texas. And on oh, any given day, you could drive the, the lions road out of Laredo or any direction from Laredo and see 50 to 100 mm-hmm. caracaras. Of course, they too have increased their population to where I've, I've seen them out in our country, our country being out west of Houston away and just north of there a little bit. They're all pretty scattered all over the state of Texas right now. Well, don't let anybody tell you they taste like chicken because they don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've eaten a lot of different things in my lifetime and, and, and of course a lot of them were years and years ago when my father-in-law and I got on a kick and we shot everything we could and we prepared something from it from everything and, and uh, but I, back then we didn't have any care care so yeah, no, so I didn't I'm, have to eat any of those no, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just messing with you uh, yeah I can't I couldn't imagine that uh, they're pretty but I, no they're just a little buzzard yeah, they are they're just they're they're a raptor buzzard I guess if you will but that's that's I think my point being that that is you know what we're trying to do uh, with Texas Outdoor Riders Association is again talk about the North American wildlife model for conservation. Exactly. And, you know, when you get a hold of something, it's all based on science. And when you get a hold of something and you present it, you should present it accurately and not do these programs and go, oh, you know, oh, my God, you know, we're losing all the lines when actually, uh, no, huh? no, there's more lines than there ever have been. Exactly. Uh, you know, it's it's you know, tell people the truth. Give people honest information. Tell them the truth. Show them. You know, it's based on science. This is what works. This is you know, absolutely. And, and you uh, kind of jumped ahead of me just a little bit because I was sorry. just no because I was just about to ask something about the fact that you've been very much involved with the TOWA Texas Outdoor Writers Association yep. for the last several years now mm-hmm. as, a, as on the board of directors and, and no telling what else positions you've held either officially or, or kind of were forced to to hold unofficially as well too. Yeah. We, we talked about this a little bit in the past uh, and you mentioned the North American model of, uh, right. of right. Right. conservation. Right. And how, how do you see spreading that word to We have to, the you know, public? we got to give it to the kids. When the kids hear the parents are going to hear it. I'm, I, you know, I, I quit fussing about it, this hasn't happened since '37, I and mean, when it should have. Right. All right. But we got to get the word out now because this is the way we're going to have wildlife in the future. And if you know, in an urban world, people need to know how conservation works, and this is the way yeah, it's right. worked since 1937. And it's it's a big point. We love to talk about guns. We love to talk about hunting. We love to talk about bullets. We love talking about fishing, what bait to use, all that. Know why those critters are there. Know why they're there. It's in that this is all science-based. And one of the things I'll give to people who are not such big hunters and stuff, and they look at it and they can't quite figure it out, I say, you know, where critters need to be left alone, we leave them alone. This don't mean if there's five of them, you got to go hunt four of them. No. 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 If there's places where animals need to be left alone, leave them alone. Absolutely. Uh, And it is simple animal husbandry that dictates 
how these conservate, how, you know, how conservation works. Uh, I mean, it's just simply, I always said it's the birds and the bees. It's that simple. Yeah. All right. So nowadays they screw that up. You don't even have the birds and the bees working the way they used to. Uh, you know, now we got that big controversy going on in this world. But in actuality, it's simple animal husbandry. If you look at a herd of cattle, you don't keep a bull till he's 10 years old and he's fighting off the young bulls and not allowing them to breed the cattle. And meanwhile, they can't breed the cattle. So next year you've got a, you know, you don't have a very good calf herd. Same thing happens in wildlife. Absolutely. And so that's why and you recognize uh, spin words like trophy hunting. All right. Well, it just so happens them big ones are the older ones. Okay. So those are the guys you're at. Those are the ones you're after. And, you know, you, you get some of those terminologies and explain them away and go, this is, you know, this is the way it works. This is how it is. This is animal husbandry. And in order to maintain and promote a wildlife population, this is the way you do it. And you take out the older males in a herd, uh, you know, and when you take out what you and I would call cull bucks, all right, you're taking out the lesser health. The you know these are these are the, these are the ones in the herd that are not necessarily the strongest individuals of their species. You're you're getting them out of there. You're keeping the best ones in there, and so I mean that's just simple animal husbandry. And that's that's what conservation is all about, and that's the way it works in wildlife conservation. It's a scientific deal. And then you want to go one more deal, and we'll talk about predators and having to maintain uh, control of predators because every predator on the face of the earth gets a bloodlust. When they smell blood, they're going to kill as many as they can, whether it's coyotes, wolves, grizzly bears, anything. If they have an opportunity, they they will kill for the fun of it. And it's not just the old and the weak. No. Uh, no. I had one of the Montana boys tell me one time, he said, you ever want to see a grizzly bear really have fun? Watch him get in a pen full of sheep <laughs> where they can't oh, get away. I can imagine. He said, like, I'm not saying that, but I can imagine you know, what happened. He said, you talk about look like a cat playing with a mouse. He said, he'll kill every sheep in the pen and just have more fun throwing them in the air and throwing them around and killing them. And he said, and we've seen that now with wolf predation on elk herds, killing elk and leaving them lay. And just it's predator, the nature of predator. That is, every, I think every predator on this earth has a bloodlust. And, you know, it's uh, what old Stan Lynn say uh, in that ricochet yep. thing. He said, you notice the predators all have their eyes in the front and the prey all has their eyes on the side. 
And, you know, you look where ours are. Yep. <laughs> a pretty definitive uh, explanation there when you get right down to it. You're, you're right. Uh, I get so tickled all the time. Tickled is not the right term. We get so aggravated because in the days where a lot of times it's, oh, they only take the, the, the sick and the infirm and all that kind of stuff. I tell people it's no different. You go into the grocery store and you're looking at meat and there's this piece of meat that's got crud growing all over it or it's gray and there's this freshly cut piece of meat that shows a lot of red and mm. all that. Which one are you going to pick? Are you going to pick the one that's looked like it's already bad or are you going to pick the one that's mm-hmm. spoiled? Are you going to pick the fresh one? And predators are the, are the same way. There's some that are opportunists that will take whatever they can, but for the most part if there is an opportunity to take the healthiest animal in the herd, that's yeah. what they're going to take. Yeah. And yeah. This, that's just the way of life that unfortunately too many people don't understand that, and maybe years ago when, when uh, some of the early TV shows and all those things kind of started, uh, maybe Walt Disney would have done would have served the wildlife better if he'd have shown what really happens instead of what his producers thought should happen. Right, <laughs> right. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to plug somebody right quick. Please do. Sue Tidwell wrote a book, Christ from the Savannah. And it is a wonderful book because it's written from the perspective of a lady observer uh, going to Africa with questions in her mind about why do you, you know, why do you hunt all these different critters? Now, she she grew up in a hunting family. She grew up eating deer. Uh, she told me she had four brothers and a daddy. And I said, you mean you never got an opportunity to go hunting? And she said, oh, no, me and mom were just so happy when they left. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and uh, so, and then she, you know, her current, you know, she's married to a gentleman. They live in Idaho. They hunt elk, and she knows all about camp. They can go up camp and do all that. And so she was used to all this, but was foreign to why would you do this in Africa? Why would you go hunt all these different right. things? And she wrote a book, Cries of the Savannah, and it is a great book. It's a wonderful book. And her name is Sue Tidwell. If you can find that book, because it explains everything about as well as I've ever heard it explained. And it's coming from a, a you know, a hunter's wife, uh, an observer. Right. And, you know, it's all about camp. It's all about the 24 people that took care of the four people in camp. Talks about the talks about those people about, and, you know, gives you a description of them. And, uh, it's great. It's a great book. It really explains very well a whole lot about wildlife conservation, and uh, from from a perspective, from a lady's perspective, and from an observer's perspective, and puts a lot of things into. Explains it very well for you know for somebody who would just you know be curious, who has who cares enough to be curious, who cares enough to be curious. Right. There's you just made a huge statement right there. Yeah. You know, so. I've not had the opportunity to read the entire book. I've read a few excerpts from it, and I'll see if I about. I mean, you 
She even suggested I get in touch with her yeah. some time ago. And unfortunately, my schedule was really kind of screwed up for a while. It still continues to be that way. But I definitely want to have her on the podcast. And uh, from the excerpts that I've read of her book, I, I can't wait to get her on. I really need to get her on here. And, and uh, I think a lot of folks will have a better appreciation for a lot of different things if they listen to her. I enjoyed her book so much. Now, I'll tell you a little personal note on that. We went to the Poma Conference. Right. And she won the Pinnacle Awards yes. with that book. All right. My little lost writer book won Outstanding Achievement. Okay. So that's like first and second. And I'm I'm sitting there thinking, you know, just personally, I'm like, all right, I got to look at this book. <laughs> beat me, yeah, you know. Exactly. And, you know, yeah, that's maybe I don't want to be arrogant about it. But, yeah, no, I was very – I want to see it. And then when I picked it up and started reading it, I went, oh, hell yeah, it's a lot better than mine. <laughs> God damn, you know, this is so much better than mine. I can't even – you know, yeah, I just got my ass kicked. <laughs> but, you know, if, if that happens with the right person, it doesn't hurt nearly. No, no, it's great. I plug them every chance I get. I, I'll plug her every chance I get. It's a great book. And, I mean, it, it's uh, it's a great book, and it's it's all about exactly who we are. Absolutely. Herman, we're going to shut this down because I've got to go take – got to go mend fences on my little place. Neighbors' cattle are getting in on some of my wildlife stuff that I've got going on. But tell me – or tell our listeners, what's the best way to get in touch with you? And, and I want you to again mention the uh, the radio show because you cover such a wide t- array of topics that are wildlife and outdoor-oriented. They're not just hooking bullet stuff. We get to talk about that. But you get into some of the real issues and you get an opportunity – talk to the people who really have influences on some of the things that happen these days. So how does somebody get in touch with you and, and uh, what's the best way to do so? And also need to mention too, that you've written several books now, and, uh, fabulous reading that people I'm telling you, they, they, uh, I'd put his books up against anybody's and his writing style against anybody's. And I may be a little biased, but it's, it's the way I look at it. So tell us how to get copies of your books and how to get in touch with you. Best thing is, is uh, HWB at the T-H-E lost L-O-S-T writer, R-I-D-E-R dot com. That's kind of become my little nicknames and moniker or whatever you call it, the Lost Rider. There's three Lost Rider books. Uh, the Lost Rider from Yopon Creek, uh, Christmas Tales from the Lost Rider, and The Lost Rider and Friends. And uh, that was just something I came up one, with one time because, I, you know, the first thing was I lost the horses up in the Sun River one time. It took me two days to find them back. And I was... tracking them through country I've never been in and I was lost the other way of looking at that is in some fashion we're all lost riders trying to make it through the world and I I play on that quite a bit yes sir uh but that is best ways hwb at the lostrider.com phone number 979-732- Four seven zero seven. Best thing to do is text that number because I don't always answer it. You can be both. I don't answer my phone very often, but I do respond to texts. So. Yeah. Uh, the radio program news from uh, news from the camp house. Like I said, we will talk about anything and everything. Any conversation comes up around camp, and if it ends with a question, we'll try to find the answers. 
and I'll talk to anybody I have to do. I've, you know, I've done this from here to Wyoming to Montana, uh, talking to whoever it takes to find the answers for what we're looking for. Uh, what else you want to know? I think I, that's I, event. Give me the give me the the uh, how to get in touch with you. Both okay, your, your H H W B. That's that's initials H W B at thelostrider.com T-H-E-L-O-S-T-R-I-D-E-R.com 979-732-4707 Herman, thank you so much for joining us around the campfire. I cannot wait to get back with you. We'll do so here in maybe a couple, three months at the very latest. Thank everybody for joining us this morning, this afternoon, or whenever it is you have an opportunity to listen to the podcast. And uh, we'll be right back here with you next week. DSC Campfires with Larry Wysoon has also been brought to you by Double Nickel Taxidermy, preserving your outdoor memories. Burham Brothers Game Calls, the callingest call made. Texas Wildlife Association, working for tomorrow's wildlife today and the Crown Bar of LaGrange and Round Top, Texas. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. I'm Will Cooper, host of Hunt Stand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device.